This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis along with Drew Lerner. We're going to talk about all the big topics in sports media this week, and there are a lot of topics to choose from. Let's start with the announcement late Tuesday that ESPN will be partnering with Penn Entertainment on an ESPN-branded sports book this fall. This is the same Barstool-branded sports book that Penn has been operating, but it will take on the ESPN brand. According to reports, this is going to be a 10-year deal. So uh, Penn will be able to use ESPN brand for a solid decade. They're paying ESPN $1.5 billion, so just enough to cover Pat McAfee's salary. And uh, it's going to be a big deal for ESPN. This is a tough time for that network, uh, or the company, really. A lot of layoffs, a lot of questions about the future. And this is something that ESPN has been pursuing for a couple of years. I went back and looked. Wall Street Journal a couple of years ago reported ESPN was looking into a relationship with Caesars and DraftKings for a very similar arrangement. It would have been $3 billion back then, $1.5 billion, uh, about half of that. But still, that's billion with a B, so uh, not going to be too many complaints. Let's go ahead and bring in Drew to talk about this big uh, breaking topic as of uh, our taping Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, John, well... Um... The, the annual revenue that they'll be generating from this deal is about 10 Pat McAfee's. So I guess that puts it into a little bit of perspective. It, I guess it's a long time coming for ESPN, right? Um, they, they've always been a little bit hesitant, given the Disney brand, that to get into the gambling space. But of course, they've, they've gotten into gambling content, gambling adjacent content. Um, this was the next logical step for them. Penn, obviously already an experienced sportsbook provider, uh, having had that partnership with Barstool previously. So there shouldn't be any issues getting off the ground up and running. Um, I believe they'll already have that user base and it'll just roll over to the ESPN bet brand. Um, so that'll be a good start for ESPN on that front. And of course, just having the ESPN bet platform integrated across all of their content it, it will surely grow its user base pretty quickly from that um my one concern is that and i guess this is more of a concern for pen and not espn but this is already a pretty mature space right gambling companies have in the legalized states have already converted most of the potential customers right there's not really a lot left in the well to to, to capture yeah, you know, beyond all of that aspect, uh, I do want to just get to the uh, reputational element, right? So obviously, we know that gambling is big in sports, but there was a time when, you know, an ESPN wouldn't want to be associated with that. And there was a time when an SMW wouldn't be want, wouldn't want to be associated with that. I mean, I remember I might have been 19 years old running this site. And, you know, people would come to me from gambling companies, and they'd want to do all sorts of partnerships, and I'd be like, you know, not not interested because there was a taint that would come with that. It's very interesting to see 
how things have changed all these years later. Uh, the reality of the matter is that things, you know, this is a, a bit of a Hail Mary. It's a bit of a desperation move, right? Like, I understand that it makes a lot of sense. I understand that a lot of people are, are interested in gambling. There's people who only watch sports because of the gambling element. But I also understand that ESPN right now, everybody right now is in a bit of crisis. We're at that 70 million range right now in terms of homes, which is actually a lot. It's actually a lot of homes given everything that we've been hearing. But in two years, they're not going to be in 70 million homes in two years. In two years, you're going to look back and say, wow, I can't believe ESPN was still in 70 million homes as recently as 2023. And the reality of the matter is, this is one of those moves that you make when you know that things are going to get uh, a lot darker really fast. And you don't know exactly how much money you're going to be able to recoup going over the top. Yeah, and, and just to put that into perspective, John, this is, like we said, a 10-year, $1.5 billion deal with Penn, um, which would obviously math out to $150 million a year. You think about the linear cable subscribers, how much ESPN is making per month, it's about $700 million. So this is kind of a drop in a bucket compared to linear subscribers and, uh, you know, ESPN, they have to do whatever they can to kind of recoup some of that lost revenue. But um, th this is really, when you compare it to their main revenue stream, uh, this is nothing. Exactly. And that's why it's not going to stop here. Now, if you go back to advertising, for a lot of years, you wouldn't see liquor ads. You know, you wouldn't see ads for pharmaceutical companies. There were rules against it. As time goes on and you need to find money in those calculations, those rules keep getting relaxed and relaxed and relaxed. So I do wonder where this stops. And ultimately, even if they go full bore, even if they go completely wild, realistically, there's, you're not going to be able to make up for making every single person with cable pay for ESPN, whether they watch it or not. You're not going to be able to make up for that. That was a heist. And I just don't know that there's anything that ESPN can do or any of these networks can. All of these various moves, there's a lot going on in the industry. Very busy summer. Everyone's going to put everything over the top. Makes sense. You have this new deal now with ESPN and Penn. You have, obviously, all the layoffs. You have all the various ways that things are shifting. And it does feel a little bit like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Okay, let's move on to conference realignment, John. Um, last week when we were talking about this on the podcast, we were talking about it in the context of a potential Apple deal with the Pac-12. Um, although we did hedge a little bit and say, you know, this deal is not done yet. You know, that it, it still has a chance to fall apart. Well, you know, that's kind of exactly what happened. Uh, and the Pac-12 as, as an entity is now essentially destroyed. Um, and being sold for parts. Let's start with like a big picture question here. Um, is conference realignment as it stands sustainable for college athletics, or are we going to be seeing some sort of new world order, almost similar to what we've seen in other sports like golf, where there's going to be a total restructuring and eventually, you know, kind of get back to something more sensible, more regional? Well, the reality of the matter is all of this is interconnected. Our first topic is connected to our second topic, which is that at this point, we have reached the emergency pull the ripcord moment where you're going to junk everything. You're going to junk all your values and all your traditions 
to make more money. And so that's kind of where we are in college sports as well. Uh, the Pac-12 now is the 1999 Bulls. They still had Tony Kukoc and Ron Harper, but they didn't have Jordan Pippen, Rodman, or anybody else, and it was pretty bad. But I digress. The reality of the matter is that, uh, you know, the Pac-12, yeah, obviously that's over. As far as college sports goes, yeah, that's kind of over too. I mean, as we have known it. First of all, let's talk a little bit about academia, right? Uh, academia is uh, a place I'm you know, fairly familiar with uh, as well. Uh, I, I can say with some level of confidence that I would bet on college sports having a brighter future than the rest of the academy, uh, at least outside of the top tier schools, because the reality of the matter is it's not a good deal for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people are finding themselves very opposed now to you know the academy for whatever political reason they might have, and the you know the resources are not great, and of course. The instructors are, in, in a lot of ways, uh, overworked and undervalued, uh, and uh, the prestige is really what they're coasting on, and that won't last forever. So college sports is actually going to be more important in that scenario for keeping universities with any kind of actual reason for existing. So I don't see it coming down to where there's only 60 teams with a football program. Now, there might be only 60 teams with a big-time football program, but that's kind of the way it is anyway. And maybe those other teams in the future are not just part of the same conference as Texas and Oklahoma. Maybe they're part of some kind of pseudo FCS, right? Something between the FCS and FBS where they're playing for the Fenway Bowl while the big teams are playing for the big bowl games. Because look, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, all those FCS teams, they've got big fan bases and their, their games matter to them. So I, I don't think you'll ever see a scenario where you don't have football at every single one of these universities. You might even have football at more universities uh, down the line, but what you won't have is, you know, Vanderbilt playing Alabama. Alabama won't have time to play Vanderbilt unless it's going to be as, you know, a cupcake early in the season, like they do with these FCS schools. So that's what I see happening. The way I see this is everything has been so reactionary, so short-sighted in the last few weeks, or I guess, Honestly, you know, since since Texas and Oklahoma hopped over to the SEC and, and there's been, you know, kind of mass hysteria from college athletics administrators, the thing about college sports is, you know, it's so emotional. Pe people's uh, identities are often kind of caught up in where their school is, who they're playing, the success their school is having and what especially what conference they're in. Right. And, you know. Obviously, with this realignment, you're, you know, totally throwing away any sense of regionality or geography, which was already an issue prior to to this this shift in college athletics. But sure, on paper and under the current framework, where what matters is linear TV money, that sure this makes financial sense for these schools. But five or ten years from now, when that is not the model. And that is not how these schools are generating most of their revenue. This is not going to make sense at all. I think the quicker we get to a system where we can restore some sensibility to college sports, the quicker we can actually have something that is financially reasonable. I, I want to pose this question to you, John. In the near term, you know, these next few years with how these new conferences have come to be, do you think this will have an impact on television ratings, be it positive or negative? 
you would think on on paper, Michigan versus USC in football, you know, Ohio State versus Oregon, those games would do well in any year. Those are non-conference games. They'll remain non-conference games in all of our heads, even though they're conference games now. And those games will do all right. Obviously, you know, I mean, Rutgers versus anybody isn't a good game. You know, no offense to Rutgers. So that's not going to change just because that team's on the other side of the country. You know, Texas, Alabama did great last year. And it'll be a conference game going forward, and it'll do great. You'll have a, a lot of matchups every year that are, are really good and really high quality. And, you know, okay. I mean, that's kind of the way it is now. I mean, you already have a lot of really nice high-quality matchups. It's just maybe you'll have a few more that seem rare and novel for the first few years, and then you get used to them. You know, I mean, I think for national TV ratings, some of those matchups are, are the you know, obviously the traditional rivalries are great. Outside of those traditional rivalries, I think you do kind of like it when you can get multiple regions involved in multiple parts of the country and teams that don't play each other all the time. And the, the, the only time it'll get to be where people lose interest is down the road when all of TV will be a distant memory anyway, right? Let's just quickly talk about the Apple deal. So the Pac-12 didn't have any takers from linear TV. They're not the first to, to have that happen. There's no shame in that. The NFL had no takers for Thursday night football. Fox didn't want it. NBC didn't want it. CBS didn't want it. ABC didn't want it. This is NFL Thursday night football. None of the linear networks wanted it, even though Thursday night football is the highest rated show on Thursday nights. It's the friends of its era, right? Nothing comes close. The top Thursday night show outside of Thursday night football is Young Sheldon. And while I appreciate Young Sheldon for giving us Annie Potts every week, like it's the 1980s and Designing Women is still on the air, the reality of the matter is it's really not that popular of a show and it's still the top show on Thursday nights. So if the networks are saying we'd rather have our low rated programming than Thursday night football, that's a bit concerning. For the NFL, didn't end up being a problem because Amazon wanted it. But what happens if the linear networks say, nah, and then the streaming networks aren't interested? Because with that Thursday night football deal, that was kind of this, oh, okay, sigh of relief. We don't even need the linear networks. We can go to Amazon and Jeff Bezos and his billions and billions of dollars. We can go to Apple. They will make up for it. Well, what if they don't? If Amazon and Apple aren't making up for what's going on with linear television, what in the world is anybody going to do? Your only other option is to say, okay, well, let's try Nexstar and Scripps. And hey, Nexstar and Scripps, they're certainly serious as we've seen, but they're not going to give you the kind of money that you're looking for if you're a big time sport. They're perfectly fine if you're the NASCAR Xfinity Series or the WNBA. But if you are trying to you know, keep up with the Joneses in conference realignment, well, that's not going to be enough. And so that to me is a big problem. Because if the streaming services are not making up for what we're seeing in linear, then assumptions about the future of the industry need to be modified. That's a very good point, John. And, you know, it's, it's funny to see the comparisons between, like, what Apple was offering the Pac-12 and, you know, Apple's market cap or Apple's annual revenue, you know, this is this is a rounding error for for Apple, right? And they still did not want to go any higher for their for a Pac-12 deal than 45 million per year. So um, that really does put into perspective, maybe the appetite from these streamers is not as big as we once thought. All right, John, let's quickly run through a couple other topics. Um, first, we'll hit the Warner Brothers Discovery sports streaming service 
Uh, why don't you give us the rundown on how that is going to shape up? Yeah, well, uh, this is something a long time coming. Warner Brothers Discovery has been behind on this. Fox is behind too, but that's strategy. Fox has decided they don't want to bother with direct-to-subscriber. No real understanding of why Max and Turner or WBD, whatever you want to call it now, why they have not been more aggressive on this. Their NHL deal from the beginning allowed them to stream games exclusively on what was then known as HBO Max. They haven't taken advantage of that in two seasons. Uh, the reality is that it's harder to stream Turner events than it is to stream other ones. Even if you don't have cable, you'll get a little taste. A few Monday night football games a year on ESPN+, Plus. not to mention the wealth of other sports that you can watch on there. Uh, you will get on Peacock every Sunday night football game, but granted, it's a little bit of a cheat because obviously when you're talking about Sunday night football or the NFL on CBS, you can just buy an antenna and get those. But still, with those streaming services, you can stream them on Peacock and Paramount+. Plus. Uh, so Turner, you can't watch the NBA on TNT unless you have TNT. You can't watch the baseball playoffs on TBS unless you have TBS. Last year, I happened to be using Fubo, which does not have the Turner networks. So during the baseball playoffs, I had to be watching the division series games that were on TBS. I had to watch the MLB network Spanish language broadcast. Even though I had Fubo, I had to go get Sling on top of it because I wanted to watch the, the division series games in English on TBS. Completely inconvenient, right? All of which is to say, this is a long time coming. I have no need for maps. I bought all of Curb on, uh, uh, on iTunes. So I, that would be the only thing I would watch on there. But I will certainly be looking at Max come October if I don't have a streaming service that carries TNT. Uh, and TNT, PBS, baseball, NBA, and hockey. That's a lot. If you get all of those games simulcast on Max, that immediately makes it a top-tier sports streaming service. Don't go dating yourself there, John, saying you've got entire seasons of TV shows on iTunes. Uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> that that might that might date you a little bit um it does make sense given wbd's lack of linear president presence that they need to get into direct to subscriber right um but i will say i think fox you know kind of being the black sheep they they do have a point here um you know had all these media companies not panicked and and rush to create these direct-to-subscriber platforms and throw their most valuable properties onto these streaming services, there would still be a lot more value in the cable bundle. And they kind of killed the golden goose in many ways by kind of rushing this transition to direct-to-consumer. Um, and, and now they're kind of seeing the consequences with how, how fast linear TV is declining. Are we sure that's true? I mean, let's be real. I mean, there's the sports is essential for a lot of people, but it's not essential for everybody. I can't see there being 80 million homes subscribing to ESPN right now, if not for ESPN plus, I think you'd be in the same spot. There's a lot of people out there who, you know, they, they can follow a game online or, you know, also illegally stream it. We've got this whole Napster thing going on. Speaking of dating myself, right where there's a lot of, you know, just these people streaming live sports for free with no particular concern that anything's going to happen to them. The fact that people can stream live sports with impunity 
is a problem. I'm not interested in digging into the 2000s playbook of sicking the FBI on a dorm because they were streaming something illegally. I think that's ridiculous. But I mean, something's got to happen. And I don't think that ESPN Plus or Peacock or any of those things, all those things are trying to do is maybe in a futile fashion, you know, get people back to watching live sports who either are streaming it illegally or are content to just follow it on the ESPN GameCast. Yeah, you're certainly right about that, especially with the younger generation. I can certainly attest that, you know, it, illegal streaming is quite prevalent. Plenty of friends that, you know, if they root for an out-of-market football team, they're they're not shelling out $300 a year for Sunday ticket. They're going to, you know, get the four or five games that are in prime time, easily accessible, and then they're going to watch the rest of their team's games illegally. So you certainly have a great point there. Um, let's move on to one final topic here, John, and that is the U.S. women's national team. The national team lost to Sweden Sunday morning in the World Cup. That game got a pretty impressive 2.5 million on Fox. The window started at 4.42 a.m. on the East Coast here, so take that into consideration. Pretty good number, but of course now the United States is no longer in the tournament. Fox will no longer be able to rely on that type of viewership draw. What are your takeaways from the Women's World Cup thus far? And maybe if you want, you can comment on the ongoing dialogue around Carly Lloyd. Well, let's start with that, because the reality is that the rating story tells itself. The U.S. Women's National Team is a tremendous draw. To be able to draw 2.5 million viewers at 5 a.m. is a great thing. But the problem is these, these time slots were awful. So 2.5 million is only good in the context of 5 a.m. The same way that, hey, the 2020 NBA Finals did amazingly well for NBA games in October opposite the NFL. Those were great numbers by that context, but obviously they weren't very good numbers at all. So look, the schedule is a problem. Like I said last week, this is a Women's World Cup. You just toss and move on to the next one. And that was even before the U.S. lost. Uh, as far as Carly Lloyd goes, I've talked about this before, where with women's sports, there's no like normal reaction to things uh, either way. So the U.S. women lose, and it was obviously we're going to lose. They weren't playing well. And I know they played better against Sweden, but you could see it coming. And I mean, immediately, it's like, I'm a huge patriot who loves this country, which is why I'm so thrilled that the United States lost. Yeah. I mean, it's like, come on, have a little bit of dignity. Just have a little restraint here. You know, it's like, oh, they're so unlikable. They're so unlikable. You know, look, I'm not going to pretend that I'm a fan. I don't watch soccer, really. I mean, you know, I'm not a soccer guy. Uh, I, I don't follow the team. So I obviously can't say I'm a fan. Do I dislike them? I'm neutral. I'm not going to get on anybody's case if they don't like them. I'm not even going to get on your case if you don't like them because of their politics, because it's a free country. Uh, there's plenty of people who I don't like because of their politics. So why would I decide that you can't dislike someone because of theirs? But I am going to say enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of hearing about it. And I mean, like, just get over it at some point, even if you dislike them. That's one aspect. The other aspect is in large measure because of this antipathy, you can't criticize this team. And it's bizarre. They made Carly Lloyd out to be 
you know, Trump Jr. or something, because she accurately pointed out that this team wasn't very good and was celebrating after barely getting through the group stage in a fashion that made it pretty obvious they weren't going to get much further than the group stage. And all of a sudden, oh, Carly Lloyd, she's terrible. Carly Lloyd is, you know, whatever. Uh, and the reality of the matter is that uh, Carly Lloyd was right. And uh, it's okay to criticize pro athletes who are extremely famous. Uh, some people go too far with it, but this is the way that it is. So you have on one side, these obnoxious haters. And on the other side, because of these obnoxious haters, you can't actually levy any real criticism of this team. And so you can't have a real conversation. You know, Carly Lloyd's probably one of the most qualified people that could possibly be giving an opinion on this team. She's, you know, not very far removed from playing on the national team with some of these very same girls, women, I should say. She, you know, was, despite being critical, you know, she was being entertaining. And, you know, I think a lot of this, honestly, was the line she delivered about the post being the best defender. Very, very good for a headline. Very, very good for social media. It catches the eye. And it was very poignant what she said. But I think a lot of why this has taken up so much juice in the media cycle this past week is because Carly Lloyd's a woman. And I don't think that, you know, society at large right now is used to hearing such strong opinions from a woman's sports analyst, right? I think if we had the same take given by, you know, Alexi Lalas or Stu Holden or, you know, Landon Donovan or, you know, Moa Dew or any, any of the, you know, normal voices we hear it during international soccer, you know, I don't think this would have even been a blip on the radar. I think we are very used to, to male voices being critical of, of other male athletes. And I, I think this is kind of one of the first prominent times. I won't say the first, but, you know, in a very prominent spot, Carly Lloyd criticized in a very poignant manner what is typically a very dominant American team. And, and people aren't used to the, you know, this team in particular being criticized for their play because they've been so dominant. And I, you know, a lot of it has to do with Carly being a woman. I would push back a little bit because I do think Mary Carrillo and Chris Everett with the Williams sisters, they were very critical throughout their careers. That's the only example I can think of off the top of my head, but. Well, let me stop you there, John. The fact that you're only able to name, you know, two or three women that have ever been critical of other women athletes on television is you're kind of making my point, right? It's not something we're used to. You do have a point. We're not used to it. It's not unprecedented, but we're not used to it. I think a lot of it too, is that Carly Lloyd is perceived as being opposed to the social justice movements on the team. I think everything always comes back to Colin Kaepernick years ago. It all comes back to that. That is the genesis of all the nonsense in and outside of sports, right? Maybe you could trace it back to Caitlyn Jenner getting that SP. I don't know. Maybe you could trace it back to Obama's first, second inaugural, right? But whatever happened in 2013, 14, or 15, I say 2014 would be the year I would, I would pinpoint, whatever happened there to create in sports and in every single cultural form, this right versus left insanity, you know, I mean, look, that's where I think that a lot of that came from. Because Carly, I believe, did give some indication of discomfort with the social stances. She works for Fox. 
He's sitting next to Alexi Lawless on Fox. I know that Fox News and Fox Sports are different, but most people really don't. Because when you're watching a Fox Sports event, you might see an ad for, you know, Laura Ingram and company. Or worse, in the playoffs last year, you might see some of the most insanely anti-immigrant advertising we've ever seen in live sports TV, right? So it's hard for people to make that distinction. I think Carly was completely right. I think she was proven right. But I think because she is perceived as being opposed to the politics that the team has espoused, because she's on Fox and because she's sitting next to Alexi Lawless, who people loathe on social media, that resulted in what I do believe was unfair criticism of her very cogent and correct points. All right, John, um, let's wrap it up and uh, tee us up for next week. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in the industry. The ground is shaking underneath everybody's feet. Uh, I don't really know what the future holds, but uh, I can say that whatever the future holds, the Baltimore Orioles will still look very stupid for punishing their play-by-play voice for pointing out that the team used to not be very good. As independent sports media becomes more and more endangered, you're going to see teams with more and more power to do complete and utter nonsense like this. And, you know, I'm sorry. I know these are dream jobs, but there's no way in the world I'd work for a company that was controlling me like that. I'm not casting aspersions, but I mean, who would want to work for a company like that? As, as someone local to the Baltimore area, grew up my whole life, 20 minutes outside of Baltimore, uh, this, none of this is a surprise with uh, the Angelos family. You know, I, I, I'm surprised they didn't try to get that Seinfeld episode pulled off the air when Elaine got kicked out of Yankee Stadium for wearing the Orioles hat. So, yeah, the industry is changing. Things are getting weird, and they're only going to get weirder from here. And uh, hopefully we'll be around to cover it all. So for Drew, I'm John saying we'll see you next time. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.